Well, once again, Merry Christmas. I was online the other day at the post office, and there was two people that were online ahead of me, and they were complaining. Imagine that, people complaining. They were complaining about the state of our country and the Christmas season. As one of them was leaving, the other one said to them, Merry Christmas! And in return, they got a death stare. They got a stare and a glare. They got a look like, what in the world? And I'm sorry, but please forgive my judgmentalism, but it sure looked to me like their look was saying this, Merry Christmas, what in the world is so merry about it? And I will agree with you, this is an unusual Christmas season. This has been definitely one of the more difficult years in the history of our country, uh, not just the virus, but the, the, the race riots, the questions on the economy, the, the election doubts. There's been all kinds of stuff that have been going on that has people really not in a great, great place. But it's not the first rough Christmas season. It certainly won't be the last one. In fact, did you know that the first Christmas season, the first Christmas, that whole time period, was during very, very difficult times? To look at this, we have to go back to Matthew chapter 2. We'll go back 2,000 years ago. And the famous story, which we covered some of it last night in, in the wise men or, or the magi, but today we're going to take a little bit different angle towards it. And it's been well said that the Word of God is kind of like a diamond, that no matter how you turn it, it's still the same diamond as long as you stick within the text, but it has a different look and it's quite beautiful no matter how you would turn it. Uh, to be accurate, because of many of the movies that we've seen, many of the childhood memories that we have, we need to put aside some of those things. We need to put aside our imaginations, and we need to get real. And so the title of our message today is, Finding Jesus When Things Are Falling Apart. Finding Jesus When Things Are Falling Apart. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, we now believe that Jesus is a few months old to his men, just two years old. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, not a star, his star. If you're taking notes, you want to jot this down, you might want to write down, Numbers 24, 17, it could be what people were thinking of. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So let's look at some of the words. It says, uh, in the days. And let's be totally honest. Again, let's get all the neat and clean Christmas things kind of out of our minds. Life in the ancient world was very, very hard. I know we say that life is hard, and life in general is hard. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. But life in the ancient world was extremely hard. The vast majority of people were poor, dirt 
poor, very, very poor. As a matter of fact, the number of people living in poverty has so uh, greatly decreased in the last 20 or 25 years. It's really, as much as things go crazy in our world, it's really been quite a wonderful thing. And, and the health care that people are able to get now worldwide is, is really, it's really on, uh, increasing. And, but in the ancient world, it took tremendous effort just to get through a day. Food was scarce, and the preparation of it, everything was all natural, if you will, but the preparation of it took most of the day. In other words, poor people, not much food, we would say the economy stunk. It was no good. And basically, it worked like this. A husband would go out, he would work all day, he would get paid at the end of the day. He would come home, he would hand the money over to his wife, and the next day uh, she would get up, she would go to the market early, and then she would spend the rest of the day, because they didn't have all the fancy refrigeration and stuff that we had, she would spend the whole rest of the day getting that food ready, taking care of the kids, cleaning the house, and of course, Wonder Woman would be homeschooling at the same time. And so that was really not that easy. Some of you ladies are like, well, maybe it's not so bad now. Let's also think about health care. Health care in the ancient world was a big challenge. Disease, things that we right now go to the doctor, oh, just take some penicillin. Oh, just get this shot. Oh, just take this medicine. Take this antibiotic. Things in the ancient world that we take for granted and we can get over in one second, disease was easily spread and many people died young. Crime, very high. There was lots of crime. A lot of times people look at the Old Testament and they go, what's with all those dumb laws? There was no 911. There was no police force. The crime was very, very high. It certainly didn't help at this time that the Roman Empire decided that everybody had to go to their uh, ancestry home of origin for the census. I guess this would be, they would be complaining about that like we complain about lockdowns right now. And so it was not easy. Now, some history buffs, if you're a history buff out there, we're glad you're with us, you might protest and say, well, King Herod was known for a lot of good things, and he was. He was known for his building projects and his trade agreements. But typically what was going on in this culture was the rich were getting richer, the poor were getting poorer, and the Romans were dominating Israel, Jewish culture, and they were dominating Jerusalem. They let the people do their own religious stuff, but they really kept them in line. Now Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, uh, were poor, and it was to Bethlehem that they had to go. Uh, the city the, or the place where Joseph's family was from. It's also the same place that the rich, wise men, who many people probably thought they were fools from leaving their land, they're going on, their same, on the same way eventually, but they first go to Jerusalem, having made about a thousand-mile journey to go there. Verse 3 says this, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. They want to come to worship the king. He, the one who is king of the Jew, because Jews, he's already the king. We've seen his star. And so Herod heard this. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Well, why was he troubled? 
Well, King Herod was more interested in his job than he was in his soul. And when King Herod was upset, it shook the whole city. You didn't know what he was going to do. Uh, Hearing all that was going on, uh, King Herod, we might say, the government was in disarray. And the government being in disarray made the people anxious. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Maybe just a little bit. Uh, King Herod was also known for very high taxes, very little concern for the working man, And he also was known, particularly later in his life, which he's at now, for extreme paranoia. So paranoid that people would try and take his throne away from him that he actually had some members of his own family killed because he didn't want them to take the throne. So hearing that this king has been born now, he wants to know more about him, he's extremely... It says troubled. Uh, Some of your versions use the word troubled. Our version used the word troubled. Some use the word disturbed. Uh, To me, knowing what we know about King Herod, I I think the word is too weak. I think we might use that Herod and the people in the town were terrified. Or Herod was greatly agitated and the people were in turmoil. They did not know what this guy was going to do next. And if indeed, as we hear, these were wise men, they saw as the people were reacting to Herod, they're like looking around like, why is everybody so upset? And they would be, well, because Herod has heard there is this king now. They would see what their arrival was doing to the city of Jerusalem. To be honest right now, friends, let's move into today. Right now... Even the unity of the church, God's people, has been affected by the government. Just like God's people in Jerusalem were affected by the government, so in the same way, we right now, God's people in the church, are being affected, even divided by the government. Now you say, but, 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 I understand. But let's understand some of the different views that are shared within the church. Some people believe all of this stuff that we're going through right now is a big government conspiracy. Others believe it's media exaggeration. Others are just completely terrified. Most people are in between and they look at all the different views and they go, you know what, there's validity to each one of those views. I I understand where they are coming from. And let me tell you something, right now, we're, we're wearing masks. I hate wearing a mask. Now, I will wear a mask, though, however, to get the opportunity to share the good news with someone, whether I'm online at the post office or at the store or something like that. So in that sense, I've found masks to be a springboard of opportunity for spreading the gospel. You know, somebody, you say, well, how do you do that? Well, I start to talk and somebody says, excuse me, I can't really hear you. So I lift up a little bit and I say, yeah, these things are a pain, but at least we have the hope of Jesus, don't we? And the people look at you like, what are you talking about? And there you go. Once they ask you a question, you're able to share with them. However, 
no matter how we feel about what's going on, whether we're in Jerusalem or we're here in New Jersey, unity is more important to God than our rights as American citizens. Now, I'm not saying our rights are not important. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote for candidates that will help us with, with biblical uh, values and to really uphold the rights of the unborn and some of the things that we hold dear and we hold sacred. But unity among God's people is more important than our rights. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 told us what was, in God's view, the matter of what we theologians call the matter of first importance. He said, 1 Corinthians 15, four and, uh, three and f- sorry, 3 and 4, For I delivered to you, first of all, some refer to this as the matter of first importance, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Are we as a church, meaning this local church and the church at large, are we going to allow all these different things we have of thoughts about what's going on right now in our country, these difficult times, are we going to allow that to kill the matter of first importance in our lives? Are we going to allow that to kill that Christ died for our sins as the scriptures told us he would, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures? This is not the first time the church has had difficulty with the government, and it's not going to be the last. This is not the first time that the church has been hindered from meeting. And actually, it's still the case in many parts of the world. But you know what th- something history has proven? That even when the government limits God's people from meeting, even when they make it difficult for God's people to meet, when the church is united, the church grows. In fact, the church is growing throughout the world in some of the most difficult places there is to meet because they are united. Sadly, many followers of Jesus are uh, today are as divided today as our government. But like the wise men, we must fight through it. We must fight through what's going on. They, they're fighting through it. They're not going to be like, well, Herod's upset and the people are upset, so maybe we should go home. They're not going to do that. And sometimes the biggest division is not with the government. It's not with other people within the church. It's within who? It's within ourselves. And so they're going to keep moving on. Yet, Oddly enough, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you're joining us here this night. To be honest, Christmas, Emmanuel, which means God with us, should actually trouble you. You, like Herod, like the people in Jerusalem, should be troubled by Christmas. Even terrified because of what Jesus taught, and he proved what he was doing by rising from the dead, what he was saying by rising from the dead, if you don't put your trust in him, he said, not me, you will have an eternal destiny apart from God. 
Verse 14 says, And when he, that would be King Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, those would be the religious leaders of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. They know. They know where he's going to be born. For thus it is written by the prophet, and they quote the, pro- the Old Testament prophet from hundreds, hundreds of years ago, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. And then they add more scriptures, probably from 2 Samuel 5, 2 and 1 Chronicles eleven two. 2. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They know. They're telling him. We know where he's going to come from. And we know what he's going to do. You could imagine Herod's like, oh my gosh, I got, I got to find this guy. I got, I got, I got to kill this, this child. See, the religious leaders know where he's going to come from, and they know what he's going to do. And the wise men say, they're not even believers. They're like, we've seen the star, but they don't even care. You know, after reading about the way the religious leaders reacted Like the government, I would not count on the religious establishment if I were you. They are indifferent and passive. How indifferent? The unbelieving pagan wise men, they were worshipers of the stars, they travel a thousand miles to find Jesus. And Bethlehem is only five miles away. And the religious leaders won't even go and scope it out. I mean, this is horrible. There's no rejoicing at the hope of of the king being born. There's no joining the wise men. There's nothing. I mean, just picture one of the scribes, one of the religious leaders going home for dinner. Oh, hey, you know, honey, how was your day? I got called into Herod's office, man. Really? Oh, gosh. Thank goodness you still have your head. What, 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 what did he call you in for? I had a question about where the Messiah was to be born. I told him it was going to be in Bethlehem. Really? Really? Okay, yeah. What's for dinner? Oh, yes, we're having fresh fish caught at the, bought at the marketplace today. It's like not even a big deal to them at all. It seems that they had become too familiar with the Word of God, too familiar with the grace of God, too familiar with the holiness of God, and they lost the wonder of the promises of God. Sadly, most non-Christian people in our world are like this. No real desire to learn about God, to learn about Jesus. But many church people are too. Or they're becoming like this, as the statistics will suggest. Like the religious leaders in Jesus' day, there are plenty of people who know about Jesus. They know the story of Jesus, but they just don't care anymore. Even to go five miles is too far for them. Even to get out of bed and to go to church is too far. Or if they're a religious leader, even to open their Bible and bring their congregation a fresh word from God is too much for them. But the wise men will not buy into this convenient faith. Even if the church does, they know it's inconvenient. 
but they are going to seek out the king. You think to yourself, man, but these guys, these religious leaders, they're in the temple all the time, as do many people who say they're Christians, go to church week in and week out, and yet they are still tremendously indifferent and passive regarding Jesus. The Apostle Paul describes people like this to uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.7. He says they're always learning. Stuff's always being put into their mind and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's in their mind and to some sense, in some sense, but it doesn't make the journey to their heart. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, these are the wise men, and, and he said to them, uh, Go and search carefully for the young child. Notice, not the baby. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. Now, we're not going to go in there today, but in his hostility and hatred, when you, if you go down to verse 16, you'll notice that Herod had all the boys in Bethlehem, two years of age and younger, killed. Joseph, Jesus' earthly adoptive father, was warned in a dream to get Jesus out of there. King Herod, like many, was threatened by Jesus. Why was he threatened? Because if Jesus is king, then King Herod is not. But maybe that's why you're threatened by Jesus. Because if Jesus is king, then you are not. Plus, if it's true, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, honestly, you should be afraid to die. Verse 9, when they, that's the wise men, heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. So the glory of God is leading them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Again, not the baby, the young child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child, again, young child, with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. That's why they came. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. And this is lots of money here. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, fun fact, this is why people say there's three kings, because there's three gifts, but there's not necessarily three kings. Verse 12, then being divinely warmed in a dream, they should not return to Herod because he wants to kill Jesus. They departed for their own country another way. They departed God's way. They did what God told them to do. So despite the obstacles that they encountered, just like we are encountering obstacles in our lives, despite the fact that life itself can be so very hard at times, they pursued Jesus. In reality, as hard as life was in the ancient world, certain things are, are still the same. Okay, we live much longer, but eventually we come to these points where Maybe your health is at a point where there's nothing really the doctors can do. Or your finances are not good. You might not be classified as poor, but your finances are not good. Relationships are difficult. You're uneasy about the, 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 every time there's a new government that comes into power. You see, there are so many reasons for the wise men to stay home. I mean, they could have been like, oh, yeah, the star, man. We, we, love, we love studying the stars, but 
you know, we'll, we'll hear about it. We don't, we don't need to go see for ourselves. And not to mention what the wise men thought before they met Jesus as worshipers of the star, of magi, worshipers of the star, they've got to change their mind because now they're meeting the creator of the universe, the Lord of the universe. They found what they were looking for, King Jesus. And if you're looking for him, you will find him. You will find the forgiveness of sins and you will find eternal life. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah wrote these words, Isaiah 55, 6, and 7. Seek the Lord. There are so many verses in the Bible that say, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In fact, part of that is he's, he's near, but you may never sense that he's near as you might right now. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God wants to pardon you and me from our sins against him. Now, some will counter you, and when you say we should seek the Lord, if they know just enough Bible to make themselves dangerous, they will counter with this. Seek the Lord? Oh, that's Old Testament. The New Testament says something completely different. And some people who disagree with the Bible and say that it's full of inconsistencies will say, oh, see, it's not right. What do I mean? The Apostle Paul writes these words after Jesus ascended into heaven, Romans 3.11. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Isaiah told us to seek after God. The Apostle Paul tells us there's none who seek after God. Pastor Jim, how do you, how do you reconcile the two? Let me tell you how I reconcile the two. That is so encouraging to me. You go, how could that be encouraging? He said, none seek after God. What's the point in seeking after God if none seek after God? That means... You put these scriptures together, that means if you or I are seeking after God, it must mean that God was seeking after us first. And that is so encouraging. He seeks after us, and we respond by seeking after him. That's what Christmas is about. That God making, made the big journey in the person of Jesus Christ to earth from heaven. And he dies on the cross seeking you, seeking me. So we come to the foot of the cross seeking him. These guys were far from God. The whole idea of being a thousand miles away. They were far from God. But God becomes a man in the person of Jesus Christ. God does all the hard work. God does all the heavy lifting. And he simply says to us, come. Seek me while I can be found. Now, when I was younger in my faith, I did not like manger scenes. 
I just didn't. When I was a kid, I didn't care. I, we had them in our front lawn, and whenever, they would, whenever it would snow, I would put Joseph's face in the snow or something like that, a wicked little kid that I was. But, but when I became a Christian and had enough Bible knowledge to make me dangerous, I did not like manger scenes. Now, I love them. I love them. You say, but Pastor Jim, um, they are very inaccurate because we don't know when the, when the shepherds came along. And clearly the wise men were not there when Jesus was born. It was, you know, the, Herod killed the babies two years and older, and he's a young child. Clearly, the, the scenes are all off. You know what I love about manger scenes? I love the scandal of them. I love the scandalous invitation that they represent. I mean, just picture who's there. An unwed mother, something really looked down upon in that culture. Her, her boyfriend, if you will, they are, they are betrothed. They're not officially married, similar but more serious than our engagement. But, but her boyfriend, who's not the father. A bunch of dirty animals because the manger is really a feeding trough and Jesus was, you know, some say born in a, in a, in a barn, probably more accurately a cave. A bunch of irreligious shepherds. I mean, dirty dudes known for being liars and thieves. And then you have a bunch of wizards there. Harry Potter's friends, star worshipers. They're hanging out there too. I love the scene. It's so scandalous who Jesus came to earth for. No religious people. No religious leaders, just worshipers, all there for what seems to be an out-of-wedlock child who the angel told Joseph in chapter 1 that he was coming to save his people from their sins. And so the key question becomes this, are you one of his people? Finding Jesus when things are or seem to be falling apart reminds us of the cross. On the cross, it looked like it was all over for Jesus. But Jesus rose from the dead. And things falling apart is what it may look like for you today. But I believe with all of my heart, that all of this stuff that's going on is just one of the many ways that God gets our attention. Serious stuff, yes, but gets our attention as he calls us back to himself. What I love about the manger scene is it's just like the cross. The ground is level. There is nobody better than anybody else all this stuff, rich, poor, horrible racism stuff that we're all, the world is just so divided upon all this stuff. But at the manger, at the cross, people are united, smiling at each other, embracing one another, loving one another, saying, the king is here. It's okay. The king is here the Prince of Peace. 
and the government, Isaiah said, is upon his shoulders. This Christmas, remember what great lengths Jesus went for you. He became a man. He lived a perfect life for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead all for you so his perfect love could cast out your fear because fear has to do with punishment. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, during some of the worst times in the, in the people of God's history, Jeremiah writes this, God speaking, Jeremiah 29, 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Right now, friend, Jesus can be found by you no matter how things are for you in your life, no matter who you are or what you have done, even if things seem to be falling apart all around you, simply do what the wise men did. Bow down and worship King Jesus. Bring your gift to him, and the greatest gift you can bring to him is your life. Give your life to the one who came to earth and gave his life to you on the cross, and you can experience the true miracle that Christmas is. Well, let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you.